0: This week on Inside the Ropes, golf in the world of COVID 19. We take a couple of different perspectives on how the game has handled the pandemic. Plus, we chat to a 100 year old golfer and we run the rule over the Ryder Cup in Wisconsin starting on Friday. It's that time of the week. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must listen to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad.
2: Subscribe now through your
0: favorite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode two hundred and twenty-five. I am Martin Blake, media manager for Golf Australia, and we've got a cracking show for you today, where we take a look at two different sides of golf in the pandemic. Andrew Kirby, the captain of Royal Melbourne, is coming on to talk to us through that, or talk to us about that club's no jab, no play policy—a controversial one and a forthright one and a brave one as well, I think. Plus, Stuart Fraser from Golf New South Wales will join us for the Sydney Perspective, where despite the dreadful outbreak of the virus in that part of the world, they've kept playing all along with some restrictions. Plus, we'll take a quick look at the Ryder Cup, which starts this week, and Anne Burton's coming to talk to us from Concord Golf Club in Western Sydney. She's just turned 100 and still playing, which goes to our theme, that golf is a game for life. Joining me to talk us through all of that, it's a big welcome to the writer-at-large for pga.org.au and Golf Digest, Tony Wiebeck. G'day, Blakey.
2: How's your week been? Good. I snuck out, actually got invited up to a golf day in Brisbane up at Oxley Golf Club last week, so it was uh, didn't play too badly and got to have a sneak peek at their new mini-golf facility that's going to open up uh, probably mid-November, they're hoping. They, they're ahead of schedule, they say. So the interesting thing with Oxleys is that it's the first uh, designed by Dave Peltz, the US short game guru. So, yeah. um yeah, mini golf's part of the big golf boom that we're experiencing at the moment. And, um yeah, it's great to see another club getting on board and adding a new element to their facility.
0: Mini golf and putt-putt and driving ranges are doing so well, and all of the – strategy stuff. I mean, the, the organising bodies and the industry bodies are doing a national strategy that's going to come out later this year. And one of the things that's bobbing up in it is that this is the ticket to getting people into the game. Um, it, it's hugely important.
2: This might be our T20. You know, We're yeah. constantly looking for the next format for golf, but the numbers and the people are showing us that, you know, holy moly was popular last year on TV. So People are showing us that that is the entry level for them, where it's fun, it's simple. Anyone can do it, any age. Um, so yeah, so the the mini golf Australian Open might be uh, coming soon to a golf club
0: near you. I don't want to be uh, Melbourne centric here, even though I'm sitting in in lockdown Melbourne. But golf is coming back in Melbourne, which was big news down here this week. Uh, Daniel Andrews, the premier, announced that. When Victoria gets to uh, 70%, sorry, 80% first dose COVID vaccination, uh, we can play golf again. We've had six weeks of closed golf courses in metropolitan Melbourne and the regional courses were closed for a while as well. They opened up about a week or two ago. So um, it's been pretty tough for the golf clubs. A lot of staff have been stood down. Uh, The golfers themselves... Uh, done it tremendously hard because we we lost a lot of golf last year in this part of the world. Um, the pandemic was running riot at the time. So, you know, I, I guess most golfers kind of would understand that. But this time around, um, you know, it's been, been really difficult. So, you know, that's why I'm, I was keen to get Andrew Kirby from Royal Melbourne on because he's been quite a strident critic of the golf ban. And, uh, you know, Royal Melbourne has been well publicised, has got the no jab, no play. And that is going to come into impact this week because we're expecting golf to return either on Sunday. We're recording this on a Tuesday, but on Sunday we're expecting golf to be back on in Melbourne. So I'm sure you're looking forward to that as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. I can only imagine the people in Melbourne and what you've been through Recently, and not being able to play, and the mental health um, element that goes along with that. And um, yeah, we feel very spoiled up here in Queensland that we've played through, so to speak. There's very little disruption. So um, yeah, yeah was- be hopefully the uh, the Melburnians can get their golf back this week. And I'm sure they're going to be very, very popular when they do. Uh,
0: they sure as hell will be. Actually, Nick O'Hearn, former you know top level. Pro uh, posted a photo on either Instagram or Twitter the other day of him looking through the fence forlornly at, I think it was Royal Melbourne, actually, uh, although Nick is a w- member at Woodlands, I think, but uh, it was basically a cry for help. You know, um, Mark Allen and other pros been very strident about this. I mean, um, you know, it's a stroke of the pen situation where the Victorian government and the Health Department of Victoria basically have... Uh, pigeonhole to golf in with community sport throughout this whole pandemic and every time they want to stop soccer basketball australian rules other footy codes um golf gets lumped in with that that's how it's happened so uh the golf people including golf australia i have to say have been arguing that we can socially distance um we're out on hectares and hectares of ground. We can split up the groups. We can play in pairs if we need to. We can close the clubhouse. It's all been done before. We can play in masks. Um, but it hasn't, it hasn't hit home with the Victorian Health Department, unfortunately. So we've lost a lot of golf, but uh, we're just about back. Um, Tony, tournament-wise, um, Sue O was probably the standout. Um, Victorian Sue O, who finished runner-up, on the LPGA Tour in the Portland Classic in Oregon. Uh, Jin Young Ko, uh, the world number two, dominated that event, but Sue posted a score on the final day and really uh, Ko had to come home pretty strong to, and she ended up winning by four, but that was a great result for Sue, wasn't it? Who's actually, um, we'll get her on the show soon, Sue, but she's, I think, finished four times second or runner-up in, in LPGA events in the last few years, but hasn't cracked it for a win. So um, bittersweet, I suppose. Uh, you know, that will do her a lot of good in terms of money list and that kind of thing. Yeah, you just got to keep putting yourself in position to win, and one day it'll go your way. She
2: started, I guess, the last round, I think, four back and shot the same score as Jin Young-Ko and just couldn't quite apply that pressure sort of midway through the round. They weren't in the same group together, but... Um, yeah, and she didn't, I guess, didn't birdie the last, which, you know, um, even an eagle there, a couple of the girls eagled it in the last round, an eagle there would have made it interesting. But, yeah, almost there again for Sue, but, yeah, her time's coming. Yeah, like you say, fourth time she's finished runner-up. So
0: Only 25 years of age, Sue, and uh, I think we've all watched her fairly closely because she was a phenomenal amateur player who came through at the same time as Minji Lee. In fact, they were in the same Australian team together at a World Teams Championships, which they they won and they they dominated the amateur scene. And when they turned pro, Minji went whoosh um, and started winning straight away. And Sue has won the, uh, you know, she won an event at Royal Pines uh, a few years ago, but uh, and she got herself onto the US Tour, but uh, she hasn't been able to get a win on the main tour. So it's got to be coming. Now, uh, Mark Leishman had a good week as well. Yeah, that was a bit unexpected. We woke up Monday morning and obviously went to bed
2: Sunday night and he was 26th on the leaderboard at the Fortinet Championship and woke up and he was on a tear and tied tied at the top of the leaderboard. So, again, a bit like Sue, unfortunately, Mark just couldn't quite pick up the birdies he needed in the last three holes. Even one or two more would have helped to apply a bit of pressure. But, um, yeah, another really strong result. I think it was fourth in the end for Mark, so...
0: Nice way to start his season. Tied fourth behind Max Homer. And uh, the other news out of that event was that Lucas Herbert had his first start as a PGA Tour card holder and missed the cut. Not by much, it has to be said. I think he played okay, but missed the cut, and so did Brett Druitt, who's back on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I actually spoke to Lucas quickly this morning, and, um, yeah, he just said he's a bit –
2: physically he feels okay. It's been a long year, you know one season into the next he hasn't had much of a break so he's feeling a bit mentally I think fatigued um, but he's got the week off this week with the Ryder Cup on and trying to refresh and finish off I know he's he's looking to finish off well so he can um, turn up at the DP World Tour Championship in, on the European Tour to finish the year and hopefully play his way into a spot at the Open at St Andrews next year that's his sort of motivation at this point but he knows like you say like he wanted to get away to a good start on the PGA Tour and that will now allow him to take a I guess, a more relaxing break over
0: the new year. Quick wrap-up of the uh, other tour events. Champions Tour, uh, Rod Pampling, the standout there, tied fourth in the Sanford International in South G- Dakota behind Darren Clark, the Northern Irishman. Pamps has had a great year. He's number 10 on the money list. And Johnny Sendon, who's one of his great mates, um, tied seventh in that event. And David McKenzie was tied 11th as well. So, um, But certainly Pamps is... He, he's looking like one of the best players out there on that tour this year.
2: And I think what he's doing by winning the Boeing classic a few years ago, a few weeks ago, sorry, that broke an 18 year drought. And all of a sudden we've got, like I say, Pamps and Dave McKenzie and John Sendon, Robert Allen, is out there now it was Mark Hensby's first start on the champions tour. And it started actually quite well, but sort of faded a bit on Sunday. So it's actually nice to see a really strong representative has been, been pretty lean on the champions tour for a few years, but, We've got a good group of guys out there now, so
0: hopefully uh, a few more wins are in the offing pretty soon. L.E.T. Céline Boutier won the French Open on the L.E.T. Steph Kiriakou was 54th. It was pretty quiet in Europe. The Dutch Open Maverick Antcliffe was 27th as the best Australian on the European tour. And, uh, Tony, uh, I know that you love the Ryder Cup. Um, Let's just have a little bit of a listen to some audio from 2018 just to... See if it stimulates any memories. Ryder Cup 2018 in Paris. And that is right. And that sums up Phil Mickelson's week right there. That's official. That's official. That's official. Europe has the Ryder Cup back. And it's
3: appropriate that Molinari is the guy to officially get it done.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, Tony. Starts Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time on KO and Foxtel, the USA versus Europe. I'm really interested to know how the whole team dy- dynamic goes for America with Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka playing together. I'm not sure how that's going to go. I read this morning, as a matter of fact, that uh, Bryson's coach said that he wants that feud to to go away, which is a very good idea, considering they're going to be in the same team room. Um, how do you think this is going to pan out, the whole thing?
2: I think it again plays into the Europeans, the, the notion that the Europeans are a more united group. Um, for whatever reason, they've developed that tag that they care more, and that, you know, for us Northerners, it's a bit like Queensland in State of Origin, you know, they never seem to have the best, ta- most talented squad, but. They're the most united and work best as a team, and I think Europe carry that into the Ryder Cup. They normally go in as the underdogs, which is a very
0: Queensland thing to do as well. but Not this time, I don't think. Are they favourites this time? I, I think they're going to be the favourite. Uh, you know, they've, they've got a sensational team if you look at it. I mean, the American team is interesting because the first time, I believe, uh, something like 12 Ryder Cups that there's neither Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods playing um, so it's kind of a changing of the guard situation for them, with you know Patrick Cantlay and those sort of you know slightly younger type guys. I mean they've obviously got some some great talent as well. Uh, if they can, if they can, if Steve Stricker, the captain, can kind of pull pull it together and get them playing as as a group. And we might
2: look at the lack of experience in the American team with some of those younger guys and think that as a weakness. But again, to talk about the state of origin analogy with Queensland, they had the Basically overhaul their squad with the young guys, and then went on a eight series winning streak. So perhaps the lack of any sort of past Ryder Cup heartbreak um, and the fearlessness that the guys like Colin Morikawa and these guys play with, um, maybe that's actually an advantage for this time for the
0: Americans rather than rather than a hindrance. A thousand and twelve bunkers at Whistling Straits, uh, Pete Dye and his wife designed the course in wisconsin right beside lake michigan that's uh it's a nice looking course on television it, it i'm, I'm read, led to believe that it was as flat as a pancake when pete Dye got there so the the what looked to be rolling dunes and a sort of an irish style golf course is really uh contrived but it looks pretty good to me and they've they've hosted a few few majors um the other thing I read this morning was that there's a great big notice in the players locker room telling them uh, to not get caught like Dustin Johnson Johnson did in 2010 do you remember that where he grounded his club in what he didn't he thought was just a bit of a sandy waste, waste area. area actually yeah. actually was playing as a bunker and he got a got a penalty which cost him the US did it not Absolutely I think that was the one Martin Martin Keimer, perhaps one
2: mm. uh, I think I've got that right but um yeah, if it's sandy, it's a bunker. Just be warned. But um, I, I saw a photo someone posted this morning. One of the par fours that plays straight along the along the lake, and you can't see the golf course. Like the the fairway is hidden by all this bunker, wild bunkering and waste area. Um, it looks like a tough tee shot to try and find the
0: fairway. So, how do you rate the the Ryder Cup? Because uh, obviously Australia with no participation there, but it, it seems to me, I think the the Digest, Golf Digest, uh, on their Facebook page today put a, a little poll there asking people to rate how interested they are in it given that Australia not involved, and uh, most people were saying 10 out of 10. I, I think it's, it's pushing up to, you know, it's as big as anything really in terms of interest.
2: Yeah, and we look at it and the popularity of it and the emotion that it, it, we get out of the players this week and we think, why can't we get that more often? What do we have to do to, to build um, build a format that we can see this on, on display more often? And I'm not I'm not sure there's an easy answer to that, but maybe it's because it's unique that it makes it um, so special and we're allowed one wild week of hooting and hollering and
0: um, players sort of getting pumped up. Team golf and, and, and match play golf as well. I think it, it tells us that, you know, the four-round stroke play, we can't just do that every week. And as fans, you can buy into it. We all support football teams or
2: sporting teams of various descriptions. Golf's difficult. You know, people ask me all the time, who's your favourite golfer? And that might change one week to the next. Um, if you're Team Europe or Team USA, it's very clear who you're going for. You can wear the gear and and get right behind your team. So... I don't know how we replicate it. Maybe it's we shouldn't try, but um, yeah, I think it's in the it's the one probably the tournament in golf that gets non golfers most excited.
0: I guess in theory if you could pull uh you know, the best male players over so you went Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman, Adam Scott, let's say, Lucas Herbert and then Minji Lee, Sue Hannah Green and uh, you know, Whitney Hillier and you had a team event against I don't know who, maybe England or you know, our travel or um, the US, you know, maybe we couldn't compete with the US. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking out loud, but something like that would be great. It's just fitting it into the calendar, isn't it? Maybe the simple solution is something that's been
2: discussed a lot the last six weeks or so, and that's to find the right format for the Olympics. Uh, Perhaps if we can Mm. fall on that and get an agreement on that, that a team team, uh, element to the Olympics where you can barrack for your country and Twenty thirty two would be nice to have a teams event at Royal Queensland that we can all wear our yellow jerseys to and get right behind our boys and girls.
0: Maybe it's state of origin things. It's footy finals. Maybe it's uh, maybe state of origin golf would be would be, would be workable. You know.
2: Yeah, I mean the state. You know, we've got we could. I think it's worth trying. You know, that's I guess the point is. You know, we put on a lot of event. We try to put on a lot of events. It's obviously difficult at the moment, but. Perhaps if we had an event where it was a New South Wales, Queensland, WA, Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania, um, yeah, teams of eight, four girls, four boys, that would be uh,
0: something to engage the public. Time for our first break, Tony. We're going to come back in a moment to talk COVID golf with Andrew Kirby and Stuart Fraser.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes
0: welcome back to inside the ropes and it's time to take the pulse of golf in the pandemic today it seems to me that australia has a two or three speed economy so to speak when it comes to this because the pandemic impacts on different people and different industries in so many different ways many people have been able to bowl along with not much impact at all and others well try working in the travel industry or hospitality or health they're really struggling Big time and golf's an interesting one because at the general level, the game's done really well in the pandemic because people aren't able to travel, and golf courses in most parts of Australia are full, and the data supports that. The OzPlay survey recently reported more than a quarter of a million new players around Australia in 2020, by far the best result of any organized sport. But it's not as simple as that either, because Melbourne and more recently Canberra have had shutouts Mm. with golf courses completely closed. In Melbourne, the Victorian government is allowing golf to return, we believe, on Sunday after a six-week hiatus in which a lot of staff have been laid off and clubs have been completely closed. There was an even longer period last year when there was no golf at all in Melbourne. So our two guests today are going to help us drill into this a little. Andrew Kirby is the captain of Royal Melbourne, Australia's most celebrated golf club which, as I mentioned earlier, will introduce a no jab, no play policy for its members when play resumes in the next few days. And the Golf New South Wales CEO, Stuart Fraser, is also with us to talk to the Sydney and New South Wales experience of this, which is, as I mentioned, quite different. In fact, in New South Wales, they're seeing a big spike in playing numbers. Andrew Kirby, Stuart Fraser, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Good to be here.
0: Stuart, I'll start with you. you you're reporting uh, 6% rises in both metro and regional uh, memberships in your early figures. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure not all the figures are in, but they're, they're big numbers in the context of what's happened in golf overall. say over the last 20 to 30 years.
1: Absolutely. It's probably the biggest uh, spike we've had for, for a generation really. And um, yeah, overall, it's 6.5% at the moment. That's the total increase. Um, That's 4.4% for women and uh, 7% for men. So uh, yeah, big numbers. We've got about 70% of our affiliation fees in at the moment. Um, When we drill down into some of those, it's even good for juniors as well. We've had a uh, 16.4% increase in girls and uh, 15.4% increase for, for boys.
0: Yeah, and out in the regions, I mean, I read Jeringong, uh, 20%, Jamboree, 34% uh, in the Illawarra region. Back in Sydney, I think Bonnie Doon had a, a big rise. I mean, uh, and a place like Lane Cove, which I, I was led to believe was was under threat of, of being closed, had a massive rise as well. So, you know, COVID has done the trick.
1: Absolutely. Um, there's some impressive numbers right across uh, different clubs, like you say, Metro, Regional. It's filtering through to, to all levels and all walks of life. Um, as you probably know, our, our sport hasn't closed down in New South Wales uh, all but one day, I think, it closed through the pandemic. Obviously, we've been restricted in different ways in uh, where we can play and the numbers we can play in. But uh, as we speak, these are the harshest conditions we've had and we're down to playing in twos and within five kilometres, basically, of your home or within your local government area. But um, even with those restrictions, courses are packed.
0: And Andrew, I'll bring you into the discussion now. Uh, Andrew Kirby, Royal, Royal Melbourne, uh, you'll you'll be resuming next week with this no jab, no play, which you communicated to your members. I think I'm going to say a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, it's a it's a tricky subject. How did you approach that, and what was your what was your thinking with it? Well, I guess in the in the lockdown, I'm with
3: a bit of frustration, a lot of frustration growing, uh, we thought it was time to show some leadership and move the dial. Uh, and I think there's probably two things. One is we thought that going no jab, uh, no play would assist in getting golf open because I think the government was looking to sporting sport to show better leadership um, with that. And then the second point was we analysed it by looking at the our duty of care to our staff and our members um, that having unvaccinated players at the club uh, who have more, there's more chance on the expert evidence we've been following of transmission uh, we wanted to minimize that risk so that was uh, those were the two reasons we went on that
0: and the response from what I've read has been pretty good
3: uh I've seen passion I didn't think existed at Royal Melbourne um on on that I've had yeah you know, we've had incredible support and um got a lot of medical practitioners at the club particularly who've sent personal notes of um, how glad they are that the club's showing some leadership on it. I think as of today, we'd had nearly a thousand members have lodged their vaccination certificates. So it's all it's all underway. But I think if you read the tea leaves of, of, of how the government's um, path opening in Victoria is, you know, very, very many places are going to need, you're going to need a vaccination certificate anyway, restaurants, bars and we assume that will apply to a clubhouse-licensed environment as well eventually.
0: So so Commonwealth Golf Club has followed you in on this, and I'm just wondering whether you've had inquiries or do you think people are watching to see how this goes? Uh, well,
3: in fact, there's a little bit of contagion or a lot of contagion yesterday. So uh, Huntingdale, Victoria, Peninsula Kingswood um, all, all went yesterday. Um, we run the Sandringham public course over the road we operate the lease there and so we've bought it in there so that's one public course and uh and then uh look i've had lots of discussions with um the state clubs particularly the sydney ones have been been in
0: communication with about it well i should ask stuart while we're talking on that uh, new south wales golf club has already said that they're they're doing it uh there was a communication went to their members sometime in the last couple of days do you see it sort of taking off in Sydney as well, Stuart?
1: Yeah, look, it is gaining momentum on on the back of uh, Royal Melbourne taking the lead on it. Um, Each club is, you know, it's different in its own way, but there's no doubt that the government has showed its cards in this space and that um, comes down to one staff in the club, but but also two in the members. So, um, you know, we're getting legal advice on it. Obviously, there's a lot of water under the bridge yet, but ultimately it'll be what our public health order says uh, that clubs can and can't do and who needs vaccination and who doesn't. And under the current public health order, um, it says that people can play in groups of four if they're fully vaccinated, but it doesn't say that, you know, unvaccinated people can't play in groups of two. So we're grappling with some clubs uh, trying to accommodate in in two balls and four balls. Um, So, yeah, look, it's gaining momentum and um, um, hats off to Royal Melbourne for taking the lead on on that in Victoria. It's... it's, um, you know, a stance that is obviously, you know, very important. So uh, we'll be guided by the government, but it's certainly clubs in New South Wales are, um, are thinking in this space, definitely. One to reopen up from a staff perspective, but two to try and accommodate uh, all the needs of their members.
2: Andrew, I want to come back to you. Obviously, your career and your profession is in in the legal profession, um, very accomplished in that area. What, threat do you think there will be of a challenge to either Royal Melbourne's policy or I guess this policy being adopted widespread, do you think, I'm sure you would have looked into this, You know, does it stand up to a challenge by perhaps someone who doesn't want to be vaccinated, who still wants to play golf at the club that they're a member of?
3: Yeah, look, um, it's possible someone will challenge it. We don't think that would happen at our club, given the support we've had. Um, We have had one member who's um, pretty unsure about it, but, I guess the issue is, from a legal point of view, for members, for members, you know, you you buy in as as part of the rules to contract. There's all sorts of rules in golf. Uh, one example on the medical front: if you want to get a cart, the Royal Melbourne, you need to have a medical certificate or uh, be over 80. So you have to provide that; otherwise, you can't go in a cart. People have been comfortable with that rule for for decades. So. This is just another rule in the midst of a a, a pandemic where I think if someone challenged it, they'd have to say it was um, unreasonable or oppressive to bring in such a rule. Uh, We think we've got an overriding duty of care to our staff and to our members, which we think would override that. Now, look, uh, other clubs are in different positions, uh, I know, so I can probably only speak for where we're at, and I think uh, I'm fully aware we're probably in a, a... the membership had a pretty good feeling what the membership was like at our club. Uh, but I think it would be a very difficult legal challenge. I prefer to have the brief for the club on a legal case.
2: Yeah. can I ask, you know, most, most of us, most club members aren't attending committee meetings and, and sit on boards to draw up a, a no jab, no play policy. Sounds really simple in, <laughs> in the way it's communicated Yeah, how much went into formulating this policy that I guess had to be added to the club's, I guess not maybe constitution or or rules of engagement or um, bylaw, bylaw. Yeah, bylaw. Sorry. Yeah. Um, How much work goes into that?
3: Uh, Look, I guess um, we we'd had discussions at our committee level. We've got a we've got a, a strong, engaged committee, and I guess it was an idea I took. As I said, I think I got to the point we wanted to move. The dial, and I think reading the tea leaves in Victoria, that our prem has been very strong. The pathway out is vaccination is the pathway out. So we very much saw it as the way to get golf open. Um, that was a really compelling uh, part of it. And I think I got a lot of buy-in from our uh, board committee, our general manager, our staff. And um, so, look, I've kept it relatively simple. <laughs> I think... It can get complicated,
2: but I think ultimately, I think it is relatively simple. Um, one final one from me on that. I read your LinkedIn post, You know, I guess talking about the state of disaster and the way has, I guess, implemented um, these restrictions, and without, I guess, vigorous debate into Parliament, and I guess the liberties have been perhaps restricted as a as a measure as a result of that. How do you feel then about enforcing, I guess, this policy? and any potential restrictions of liberties that will, I guess, is that any kind of contradiction there? Look, you're totally free not to get
3: vaccinated, but you're not free to infect others. That's my philosophy on this. It is a pandemic. Um, it is an extraordinary time. And the only way out of this, as we're seeing, is through vaccination. Um, and, yeah, on one view it is... a infringing on your liberty having said that the other thing with the golf course as opposed to say a hospital is we're not we're not providing an essential service it's it's a game of golf um at a golf club which people love i know and part of the package is if you want to do that you have to be vaccinated you can't wear t-shirt and jeans on the first tee you can't hit your ball down the wrong fairway and put other golfers in danger you can't play slowly at our club because we put a foot up your backside so it, it is actually quite
0: a regulated, rule-driven um, game. Stuart, did New South Wales Golf Club uh, contact you about their policy or, and have others been in contact along similar lines?
1: Um, some clubs have. Um, generally, clubs will will talk to one another first and get a bit of a vibe as well. But, yeah, we're all constantly providing uh, advice as best we can in this space, whether it be legal advice or experiences uh, from other clubs. So... Uh, I was aware of New South Wales, and uh, I believe Concord are also considering a similar policy. So, uh, like I said, it's gaining momentum.
0: And does Golf New South Wales support the clubs that are going to do that? Because it can be extremely awkward. I know that at Golf Australia, Golf Australia, has certainly supported uh, Royal Melbourne in their move, um, but Golf Australia itself didn't uh, instruct the clubs, if I if I could put it that way. They they allowed the clubs to make their own call.
1: Yeah, Look, I mean, at Gulf New South Wales, where you know every club's equal to us, so we'll provide whatever support we can to uh, the club that's taking that sort of stance. I mean, uh, as long as a club makes a, a rule or a policy that, that doesn't break the law, or the you know, um, we absolutely will support them. It won't be a one size fits all, though, um, that's for sure. You know, Concord and New South Wales is different to Strathfield or or a, a smaller club um so but like i said we'll be guided by the government and the health order and um clubs will have a parameter to work within uh you know within that that, that dynamic
0: and i just wanted to ask both of you while we're we're on covid um the impact of covid on golf what are the lessons that we've learned from the last 18 months or so stuart you first
1: Oh, I think it's just been a great opportunity for clubs and it's been forced upon them to review their operations at all levels. You know, as many clubs shut their clubhouses, um, suddenly they're making money because the clubhouse was shut and the golf course was open. Um, A lot of clubs went down to skeleton staff maintaining the golf course. Uh, So I think it's just been a really good reset for clubs on how they run their business, uh, where they spend their money, and um, certainly from a a golfing perspective, um, a chance that we've you know, we've got players to the game now and the, the ball's very much in, in our court to, for clubs to keep those players and um, retention's got to be a focus now.
0: Andrew, the lessons?
3: Uh, well, look, similar. In fact, I remember our previous general manager, Warwick who who's gone back to New Zealand, but he's a Kiwi. Pre-pandemic, he said to me, you guys in Australia, you don't know what a recession is. You haven't had one for so long. Um, you haven't had to run lean. And then I think when the pandemic hits, hit, exactly what Stuart said, we really look granularly at the whole operation of where we could make it leaner. I think for all clubs, Stuart said, uh, F&B in the clubhouse is hugely challenging even to break even. And so it's been very difficult. We've had to sort of be concertina, open, close, open, close, but it has it has made you look at the operations and how you could do things differently. So as Winston Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. It is a time you actually can make changes and look at things differently.
2: Stuart, have you, uh, what excites me, I guess, is the opportunity that we've got now in golf with so many people coming to the game at this time and that perhaps either have been away for a while or, or are new completely. Golf New South Wales introduced an app late last year and within that you've got the social check-in feature that I guess is trying to engage people who perhaps aren't members of golf clubs as such but play regularly at different clubs and, and I guess, bring them into the fold that way. How has that, I guess, app feature within the app been received? And how do you hope to, I guess, um, maintain connection to these people that have come into the game who haven't yet joined a golf club?
1: Yeah, look, it was a bit of a, a soft launch last year. So, um, you know, the app's now up and running and it's it's got a lot more information than that. It's got all our tournaments and, and that sort of thing, scoring. But yeah, connecting with that social golfer is something that the industry has done, you know, really poorly with. We just don't have a connection because we're not connected to off-course facilities. So if someone turns up to a driving range or mini golf and we don't know who they are, um, a lot of people play socially at, at golf clubs. who don't know who they are, how often they play. So the idea is that, um, yeah, through the app, we'll um, offer some benefits for, for social golfers to sign up to that app and uh, hopefully create a real meaningful um, way to communicate with them. There's, there's so much technology that can be driven now through an app. And uh, we can get some vital data for the industry on on the social golfer, which for many is an unknown. When we go out looking for for data on social golfers, the, the local general managers asked, and um, some of them, you know, pick a dart and throw it into the dart board, and that's how many players we had. Um, so yeah, it's it's a critical part of the market, uh, one that we need to know a lot more about and to to communicate with.
2: I think you know most of us remember. The, maybe the golf access handicap that was tried to be launched maybe, oh, geez, 10 or 15 years ago now didn't quite catch hold. But now that phones are, uh, I guess, omnipresent on golf and accepted pretty much everywhere in terms of scoring, it, I guess that's been a fast tracked part of the pandemic in that mobile phones on a golf course are, are much more accepted than they, were, than they were 18 months ago. Have you seen that? I guess the My Club and uh, the online scoring being adapted throughout New South Wales, Stuart?
1: Oh, I think some of the modifications to the game, not only scoring-wise, but to, um, you know, no rakes in bunkers, leaving pin flags in, a lot of the rule modifications that we brought in, I'd love to have them stay, but <laughs> clubs just want to go back to the old ways. But no, in saying that, the, the phone scoring is great. It's, it's broken down that barrier of, a, you know, a phone on the golf course. Let's not forget, so many of the new people to our game are millennials. So you try and tell an 18 to 35-year-old that they can't use their phone for the next four and a half hours, see what they tell you. So five it's
0: Five minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, five minutes. But it has, look, it's broken down a lot of those barriers, and I'm I'm genuinely excited, and I think uh, the clubs I speak to, and I speak to a lot, are genuinely excited about the new market that's um, you know, now at their club and uh, they're entertaining. Andrew, are
0: you similar optimistic about golf itself? Oh, very much so. I mean, very much so.
3: And on the point on technology and engaging the ether, I've really tried to push that. But Look, pre-pandemic, we were very supportive of my score and really pushed the mobile scoring, and that was a that was great that we did that when uh, COVID hit because it's meant we can have the electronic scoring. You don't have score cards and the contact issues. Uh, there's also a sustainability issue because printing the scorecards and the whole thing is is um it's costly and it uses a lot of paper and cardboard and so we've been pushing that and trying to engage with uh youth we've had that debate we allow mobiles we're pretty regulated on how we do it we don't want people making calls in the clubhouse but i've got an 18 year old son who's who's a member and you take him down and you're having a drink afterwards they're just playing around looking at their phone you can't you can't ignore it if you want to get younger people in, I think you've just got to balance it and make sure that they're not overused. So, um, but in terms of golf, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing incredible demand and, and we know when Sandringham reopens, it will be absolutely booming. Last summer, it was jam-packed from dawn till dusk. Well,
0: that's about all the time we've got today, but it's been very enlightening to uh, chat to you two guys. So thanks for joining us on Inside the Rope. Stuart Fraser, Andrew Kirby,
1: thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. Thanks, Martin.
0: Thanks, Tony. We'll be back with more Inside the Ropes in just a moment.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And how would you like to be still playing your golf and enjoying it at 100 years old? There are a handful of people in Australia who are able to do that. And it's a pleasure to introduce one of them to the podcast today. Welcome, Anne Burton. Thank you. And for the listeners' benefit and for you, Tony, uh, Plays out of Concord Golf Club in Western Sydney, a fantastic track. Not so long ago, been remodeled by Tom Doke, one of the best in the business. I uh, was lucky enough to play it a couple of years ago after uh, Tom did his work, and um, it really is a great place to play. And, and uh, how many times a week do you do you play, and do you do you get a cart, or do you walk around? Do you play nine holes? I, what, I what- have to get a cart. I've had
4: to get a cart for some years. I can't really. Even the nine holes, I couldn't walk
0: there And uh, how long have you actually played golf? I think you you started quite it's a long time. Two years. How many I took years? Took it up
4: rather late. Um, I had other. I had. I was busy. I had children, and um, I had no interest in taking up golf. But a friend of mine who was a keen golfer, uh, near my husband was a keen golfer, and she said, "Well, it's a great thing to do when you're." when you're old or when the children leave in school grow up and I thought oh, you know I can't visualize this time when they've grown up and um, then once I was I was in hospital or something into something minor and there was um, um, some crisp pastry or something in the water and that was upsetting me and I was there was nothing wrong with me but I they wouldn't let me go home and Ted was coming home from work and uh, feeding six children and then coming down to see me every night. And I thought, now, what can I do to say thank you for this? I know I'll take up golf. And I thought, well, this, you know, I won't get in for a while and I won't play much. But I got in almost immediately. And um, I thought, well, I'll play more once, once a month, once or twice a month. And as I've played tennis, I'll play golf easily. Um, and then summer came so I didn't do any after summer and then I have a few lessons after in January in February and um, I know there's nonsense about playing a once or twice a month, I was hooked
0: <laughs> it, it is like a bug isn't it? What, what, uh, what is What what it about golf that draws you to it?
4: I don't know, I think we're quite mad it's frustrating uh, it's maddening, you hit um, I, I don't know. You're. you're um, I, I can't see why people would cheat, because um, you're cheating against yourself. I mean, you you want to um, um, you want to improve your score, but there's no point in improving um, uh, in playing against a false score.
0: Uh, Absolutely right.
4: It's just uh, it it just gets you. It's a drug.
2: Um, I want to ask. Obviously, celebrating your hundredth birthday recently, how important golf been in your health and getting you to such a milestone? How much has golf played in? Well, I,
4: it's not terribly good exercise. I don't know that it is, but it does get you out, um, and you meet people. Um, you now, or uh, well, particularly now when I'm old, and all my all my the people I you know used to play with, they've all gone, and they're all much. there are only one or two left who are. Uh, um, I think there's there's one or one couple, one or two ninety. The others are all in their eighties, and and most of them, you know, the others are, are much. And I'm playing with all these people who are much younger than I am. And uh, I think that, um, um, that keeps me mentally younger.
0: What's what's the secret to living to 100, Anne? No, no,
4: nothing at all. I was never, I didn't, my diet was no good. It was, um, I didn't eat anything in particular. I was made to eat my vegetables when I was a child but then, and I made my children eat their vegetables, but I did not eat my vegetables much myself. I would have a small helping, but I was always keen on fruit and the last i suppose ten years well, I have been more, uh, more 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 interested in diet, and i I do have a healthy diet i don't eat anything sugary.
0: Your daughter, Susan, who you play with quite often, uh, told me today that. You do high-intensity training, and in fact, when you turned 90, uh, you told a few people at the club, uh, fellow members of the club, that uh, they should get into this this high-intensity hit training. Uh, you're still doing that, I think, aren't you?
4: Well, I can't do that now because, uh, well, I, I've got a... About oh, four or five years ago, we got a, a, a water collie who'd been used for five years, who'd been used to... Running free through semi-suburban, and uh, she did not take kindly to being on a lead or being healing, and we had great trouble training her. And so I could not say uh, that the, we. I used to do this: you walk quickly for thirty seconds, three, and then you pause. Then you just slow down Then you do you do that three times. And if I'd left her off and said no, or rock, no and walk quickly, she'd have been off like the wind and she would be pulling me. So I had to stop that. But now I quite often I still just do um, uh, walking on the spot um, when I'm doing nothing. You now uh, if I'm waiting for the kettle to boil, I'll walk on the spot and um, quickly and I do it around the house and um, I have, there are some exercises on the, um, uh, on my, my on my uh, computer, which are very good. They're eight-minute exercises, and I think they're very good. I do those. There's also another, you can all walk a, a mile, which they do, which sounds very difficult, but they're every few uh you do different you know, you march and then you march on the spot and then you just do a different walk and it's not it's um uh it's it's quite fun to do i don't do, don't do it always uh and lately i i've stopped doing it but i'm trying to get back on it again I, I don't um i have no secret i think it's uh, i've just been blessed I've, i suppose i've had good genes um I don't
2: know, and I've been I've been blessed. Yeah, I'm a lot, well, aren't I? No, that's yeah. great, and we appreciate it. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask the, I guess the frustration you mentioned the game was annoying earlier. Um, yes, everyone everyone tries to perfect the golf swing. A- as you reach a hundred, how close have you come to perfecting your golf swing?
4: My my swing is terrible. Uh, well, when I started, I have a few. I had a few lessons, only a few. Well, they cost money, and I had six children, and I felt a bit guilty about spending too much money on myself. But I know I I joined golf, so I had to have some uh, some lessons and get a skill. And those days, you had to have three. Um, cards under 30, uh, under thirty seven from with a thirty six handicap, and then you could get a handicap and you could play. And I so I got. Well, I was. Uh, this was fifty years ago, and the teaching wasn't nearly as good then as it is now. And um, I was. I had an occasional lesson, but not very often. Uh, no, I don't think I did have any lessons and I don't think I have a terribly good swing, but I've had a few lessons lately, <laughs> a bit late, and I think I know what I was doing wrong. And I wish I, I, I envy these new ones. They go to the clinic and they are taught properly and they, they have a very good swing. And I wish I'd been able to do that. So I don't think my swing is marvelous.
2: This is what I love. You're still trying to get better. You're still trying to improve, yes, and that's...
4: Yes, 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 I am. I'm still trying <laughs> at 100. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I told you it was a stupid game.
2: <laughs> we all agree.
0: and I believe yeah. the club uh, had some nice flowers for you at, as the tea markers on the day that you... Uh, or the first day that you played after you turned 100 last month. Um, they did some right, nice, yeah. nice things for you.
4: And... Uh, uh, and they, they, apparently they didn't, uh, the florist didn't do deliver them until 11, 10. And so everyone had to start on the, the 10th. So by the time I got around there, the first, there were the flowers. And they looked, they looked lovely. And I brought them home and gave them a good drink, as someone suggested. And they lasted for so long. And it was, um, it wasn't, you know, it was a bit of a frost, this, there was nothing I could know we could do. We couldn't even have a cup of coffee together. But the um, everyone was wishing me happy birthday and they really made it a, a very happy day.
0: Well, Anne, we do call it a game for life, uh, golf. It's one of the great things about this game that you can keep playing for a long, long time and that certainly is a long time, I think 60 years at Concord. So it's been wonderful to talk to you. And uh, inspirational, really. So, thank you very much for joining us on Inside the Ropes.
1: Well,
4: thank you very much. I hope it, it, it I was. I, I hope I didn't talk too much about nonsense. Rather, uh, thanks for interviewing me. Right.
0: Tony, we'll thanks, be then. back back to wrap up Inside the Ropes uh, in, after this break.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and it's time for general business and a little. Wrap up. I just wanted to mention that we spoke last week on the program about the Australian Golf Foundation scholarships for young girls, ten to sixteen years of age, Uh, and the uh, a lot of clubs have come forward uh, as a result of that segment and some written material that went on the website. So I believe twenty plus clubs have already jumped in. So it's been a great response to that. And it's footy finals week, Tony. any sort of personal interest in it? I know you love your NRL. Um, who are you sort of looking to win there? I'm very much in the Melbourne Storm camp. And uh, not only that, I'm hoping that the Western – you know, the AFL one's interesting because um, you got two teams that no one hates, really, Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. So Melbourne haven't won one for uh, 60-odd years, so – I'd be happy for them to win, but I really would like the Bulldog, Western Bulldogs to win as well, and uh, go Storm for sure. What about you? One of my closest mates is uh, a
2: mad, mad Melbourne supporter, so Demon. So it'll. Uh, yeah, hope- nineteen
0: sixty-four, their last flag. So
2: yeah, the whole family's Melbourne's fan. So uh, I'll uh, I'll jump on their bandwagon this week, and I love seeing a fairy tale and those premiership droughts come to an end, and.
0: We've had a um, few of those in the last few years, haven't we?
2: We've had a few in the NRL too, yeah. And there's something you know, Granola won a few years ago, and it had been a long time. My beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs went 41 years in between wins, so uh, maybe maybe even 43. So uh, yeah, I'll hope uh, the Rabbitohs get over the Sea Eagles and Storm and the Panthers is a good one, but I can't see the Storm getting beat. So, any uh,
0: tournament news? Any tournament news around the traps at all before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, obviously it's been a challenging time the last 18 months to get events on. We had the launch of the Players' Series last year, which was a great initiative down in Rose Button at Bonnie Doon. It's, we we're hoping that this would be announced last week, but these things can uh, can get held up at the last second. But there will be a couple of very exciting announcements shortly. Um, one will be around a new Players' Series event um, that will add it to the calendar, which will be the 3rd. The third one to appear on the PGA Tour of Australasia schedule. So, yeah,
0: that, and, that um, event, those events are great,
2: wonderful, and they engaged every level so well. And, um, I think people really enjoyed seeing the guys and girls competing alongside each other. Um, hopefully, one of the girls can have a win this summer and really uh, elevate the uh, schedule. And they're trying to get this thing to eight or ten events. So, I think for the Australasian tour moving forward, that's going to be. I guess the glue that holds us together and provide our players with opportunities throughout the summer. But um, yeah, Brisbane's about to get a new, uh, not a new tournament, but they'll they'll get an extra tournament shortly. Will that'll be announced? So uh, exciting for the people of Brisbane. They've got the Australian PGA in January, and uh, there's another one coming their way. So keep your ears keep your ears open.
0: It's uh, it's going to drop soon. A shout-out from me to Ray Mann from Wodonga Golf Club, who I think in the last week or so had his first hole-in-one, 84 years of age. So to our theme of uh, golf a game for life, 84, your first hole-in-one. So there's hope for all of us. I was
2: talking to someone recently, and they play regularly with a guy who's 92, shoots his age quite often, and he's always fiddling with his grip, trying to get his grip better. <laughs> Like to Anne's point before, you know, she's still trying to swing it better and, you know, maybe we should all stop trying to perfect it and just enjoy it because apparently it's a quest that never ends.
0: I think we're done and dusted, Tony. Thank you very much for joining me today.
2: My pleasure. Always always fun to – and it was so enlightening to hear both Andrew and Stuart talk about what golf's – you know, I guess we've all got our own experience of golf through COVID, but um, to hear the stance that Andrew's taken at Royal Melbourne and then this – you know, the success, I guess, and the popularity of golf in New South Wales and how they're sort of managing that is um, encouraging. Hopefully when we can get through all this, golf's going to uh, have a really, really strong period that we can make our, uh, our new foundation.
0: And thanks again to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe through the usual channels, and we'll be back to do it all again this time next week on Inside the Ropes.